Welcome to the Fisher's Second Ward Podcast. This is a podcast to help members of the Fisher's Second Ward of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints get to know their neighbors in the ward. The ideas and thoughts that we share aren't necessarily a reflection of the official doctrines of the church. We just hope to strengthen our friendships and our faith by sharing our stories. Thanks for listening, and let me introduce you to a member of the ward. And actually this week, we are talking to two members of the ward. We have Jennifer and Curtis Larson, or Jen, as she will go either way, it sounds like. And uh, so welcome. Welcome to the hey. podcast. Thank Thanks you. Thanks for having us. So um, let me start out with, who are you? <laughs> let me start with, I guess, Jennifer, you go ahead and, and okay. tell us about who you are. Um, I'm, I'm Jen Larson. Uh, Jennifer Elsden uh, was born Jennifer Elsden. Um, I was born in New Jersey. Okay. I lived with my grandparents until I was 10. Okay. Um, then I lived with my biological mother until I was about 17. Um, we moved from New Jersey to New York to Pennsylvania. And um, you know, something going on right now, if you have Netflix and you see Meltdown, I lived right there for Three Mile Island. Oh, wow. Um, and in... Um, in Pennsylvania, that's where I got baptized. And okay. um, I was baptized at 27, I think, 20, 26 or 27. Um, okay. And um, one, the, the reason that I, I got baptized was I had actually known about the church for quite a while. My One of my mother's ex-husbands was raised LDS. Oh, really? And my brother's father um, my siblings and I all have different. I don't. Ha, I don't share a parent with any of my four okay. siblings. Um, none, none of us share two parents. Um, so you can see that life was a little bit chaotic for me. It sounds like maybe a little bit. So going out to Utah in the summers to um, spend time with um, my stepdad's parents who were LDS mm-hmm. um, kind of sowed a, a desire for. Um, family and church and mm. that kind of peace for me. And so it was something that I desired. And um, I was uh, getting ready to go through a divorce and um, and every everything in my life was kind of up, up in arms. And I have two daughters and they were uh, maybe five and six at the time. Okay. And so... I was just moving and two young men in suits ran down the road and you could almost hear that cartoon stop <laughs> skid with their shoes because I was struggling to, t- to carry a television across the street and okay. you could almost see their, the wheels turning in their head. They're like, yeah. okay, we're going to be late. <laughs> we're supposed to be in the house by X, X uh, PM. We're going to be late, but that woman needs help. Right. What do we do? And they walked back and they said, can we help you with that? And I said, no. I said, I know who you are. Uh-huh. I know what you want. Give me one week. <laughs> and okay. um, two days later, they they, Not they, quite showed, a week. <laughs> they showed up and they asked if I could, ha- if I would be willing to listen to the first um, discussion. And I said, yeah, but not my kids. Okay. I want to hear it first. Uh-huh. Um, so you're going to have, if, if I'm okay with it, you're going to have to do it twice. And they're like, yeah, sure, fine. <laughs> and right. so um, we did the first two discussions that night because I wasn't, ready to stop after the first, like, no, no, we got to talk more. So, um, uh, I, 
um, I was still, I was still married at this point and you needed to have a spouse's, um, permission to get baptized. Well, my spouse was at the cabin in New Hampshire and, um, so, and this was before cell phones. Uh-huh. So yeah, I'm um, that old too. So. <laughs> yeah. He would only call like once every few days and he was very against me, um, getting baptized. Mm. And, um, so I, um, I did what any smart woman would do. I instigated a little fight on the phone and I said, well, I want to get baptized. And I waited until he said, fine, do whatever you want. I hung up. <laughs> I, I called the state, I called the mission president. I said, okay, this is how it happened. This is what he said. He said, good enough for me. And I was <laughs> baptized two days later. <laughs> and, and, um, there it was, um, it was a great experience, but you know, in the, in the, between then, um, of course my daughters took the, um, discussions as well. Okay. So the, actually Ivy was eight because she got baptized with me. Okay, cool. Yeah. Nice. And Curtis, what's your story? I heard you served a mission. So tell us a little bit about you. <laughs> well, well, Jen is the storyteller in the family, <laughs> uh, which I appreciate. I'm, I'm not much for for chat, but I, I don't have much of a story. I very vanilla, I, I would say. <laughs> okay. Uh, born in Montana. Okay. Um, grew up on the main in Utah. Okay. Uh, to a member family. Okay. So my parents, I have a sister and two brothers. Uh-huh. They're all in Utah. Okay. So um, you're the, uh, yeah, the, I'm the black okay. sheep. <laughs> uh, I like, not living in Utah. <laughs> I can get behind that too. Yeah. So. He married an adult, older woman um, convert with children. And. Um, yeah. So that, that was a little interesting. Uh, I, I did adopt, adopt the girls. Okay. After we got married and we were sealed in, in the uh, D.C. temple. Cool. We were living in New Hampshire at that point and the D.C. was the closest. Was, this was before the Boston Temple, although, although we were there when the Boston Temple was being built. Yeah. Um, but a lot of people ask me when they hear that, well, how, how did his parents react? They were, they're wonderful. His oh, parents are fantastic. I love them. Mm, that's great. Yeah. They're, um, they, better at a distance. Be, <laughs> right. I, I mean. A lot of family Well, is now they can't distance. listen to this, by the way. So good job, babe. Um, well, that's all right. But um, no, they, they have been nothing but wonderful to me. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> so you found some, some stability, it sounds like, from the chaos that you had as a... He as taught a me stability. I... Um, I still had some old habits of, uh-huh. you know, trying to want to argue, want to fight and, um, and he wouldn't engage. So right. I had to learn to, um, communicate in better ways. Right. And so, um, so he taught me stability. I, I taught him to be a little bit more outgoing, I think. Mm-hmm. And, um, still a work in progress. Well, both, <laughs> yeah, we both of us. but yeah, it, it really worked out because he's really, we're really the yin to each other's yang. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. When I, when we first got married, I was very very introverted, and Marcin was the outgoing one. And and it's shift. I've I've become more. At least I act more outgoing than I did. So where did you serve your mission? Pennsylvania. In Pennsylvania. Okay. Harrisburg. Yeah. So a lot of uh, connections are on the, the along the East Coast. That's great. Yeah. Yeah, he. Um, I met him while he was on his mission, but uh-huh. you know, we dated and married after I 
was divorced and moved to Utah. Right. And, and then he did adopt the girls, and so they're Larson's as well. Well, fantastic. No, neither. I guess they're Wrights and Hills now. Okay. <laughs> so they're married now. Yeah, yeah, we're a little bit older. Yeah, we've got two grandchildren. <laughs> oh, congratulations! Thank you. That's fun. Yeah. yeah, Ivy and Matt have Daphne and Callum. Okay. And Jordan just married Elliot, so um, they're. Uh, they live down in North Carolina, and our and Ivy and Matt live in uh, Minnesota. Okay, so staying away from Utah, still right. maintaining that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, good. Well, what brought you to Indiana? So that's that's an interesting story that that I can tell. Um, <clears throat> well, so we lived we lived in Utah for a few years after we got married, and then we moved to New Hampshire for work. Um, I was work. Actually, we were both working at Fidelity Investments at, at the time, and their headquarters is is in Boston. So uh, we moved out there. Um, 9/11 happened while we were there, and that was a pretty traumatic event for mm, yeah. our family. Uh, we ended up moving back to Utah for a while to be with my family, so we had a little bit more support and stability. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I enlisted in the Utah National Guard, Army National Guard. Um, I'd always had kind of a, a leaning toward that, that whole duty and honor kind of, kind of thing. Uh-huh. But after I saw the impact that it had on my family and on our country, uh, our daughters were a little bit older. Jordan was a senior in high school when I enlisted. Mm-hmm. And I figured at that point, I've, I've, done, I've done my job. I've done as much as I can do with, with the girls. So right. it's like, if, if I go now, it's you okay. Wrong, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm often wrong. But uh, we, we moved around quite a bit. Um, now, in, when he says he joined the National Guard, it wasn't the, it wasn't the um, twice, or, you know, once a month thing. He joined full time. Okay. Well, yeah, so we, we're at war, um, and my basic training lasted three years. Well, and not just basic training, but the initial entry training. Uh-huh. Um, my role was a human intelligence collector, so they taught me Arabic um, wow. in Monterey, California. We were there for about a year and a half. Uh-huh. Jen did not want to leave. Can't blame Monterey's me. beautiful. <laughs> it is. Yeah. Um, I rode a little Vespa all over the town. <laughs> that would be great. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we, we do miss it. We have a lot of fond memories of that area. But um, after, after training, um, I deployed to Afghanistan. When I came back from Afghanistan, I taught at Camp Williams in Utah. Other soldiers that were looking to, to, do, to do human intelligence collection for a couple years, but... Uh, we just needed to get out of Utah, uh-huh. um, and I—that's when we moved to D.C. Um, we lived in D.C. for was it just a year? It was, was just it? a year. Yeah, we hated D.C. You hated D.C. <laughs> okay, so so there are a, a ton of things to love about D.C. Don't True. get me wrong, right? I so love the much metro, but you, you couldn't go anywhere without there being traffic. Right. 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 And um, I was mugged on the metro. And she was mugged. Wow. Um, <laughs> and you I still mean, love it. <laughs> a lot to love, but man, I, I, I couldn't wait to get out yeah. just because it felt very claustrophobic. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a target. And, you know, 
I, I worked right. in D.C. across the river, okay. and if anything happens, they shut everything down. So right. you can't get out. Yeah. And just the whole idea of being trapped in D.C., uh, you know, if anything happened, running out of stuff and just the mass chaos... Right, man, we got to get out of here. We were we were there for the Navy Yard shootings. He was working at one of the bases. I was working at the Judiciary Building, which is also always a target. Uh-huh. And that um, the the funny thing I remember about that is when we learned shelter in place, they said um, make sure you, all you have in your um, your lanyard is your identification, your Metro Pass, and um, anxiety medication so if you uh, take and that's how they did training and so i always had anxiety medication right in the um the little lanyard because um i was like okay well i can make it to the metro i can uh-huh. make it home right and then i'm all good and uh but it was it was really interesting and for all the scary things about living there it was it was a really good time but two thousand dollars a month for a one-bedroom apartment made Indiana really, really desirable yeah, to us. <laughs> yeah, so my, my enlistment ended. Uh, it was wrapping up. I was working as a contractor, and I, I didn't like that. Uh, working for the government. Sometimes if you get the right, the right group, it's, it's great. Mm-hmm. Uh, but most of the time you're dealing with people that are just punching a clock, and I didn't really like that. So it was time for me to move on from government service, uh-huh. and, and I got back into finance um as i mentioned before we, we worked at fidelity investments uh i work at schwab now okay charles schwab and they we have a contact center here in indianapolis it's mm-hmm. kind of like directly between the grandkids in minnesota and our other daughter down in in north carolina we figured this is a good in between yeah and definitely not a target for, for terrorism. Not nearly as much as D.C. is. No. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's true. And I, I think I agree with you. I love visiting D.C. I'm not sure I would want to live there. It, it was good. To, I think it was good to live there for a year just mm-hmm. to get perspective. Right. Um, same for Monterey. Yeah, I didn't want to leave. But again, it's, it's really, I think it was important for us to live in a lot of different places to get the perspective um, of people that live in different places. For example, um, I know that everyone was affected by 9-11, mm-hmm. but it wasn't the same for people that lived in California or that lived in Utah. Right. They didn't have that same um, terror that yeah. we felt. Um, those people left from our airport. That's where we would fly from. Right. That's, and that they walked brings it really close to home. streets. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so it was... It was definitely a different feeling. Mm-hmm. and um, Well, not only that. I mean, Fidelity had operations in that complex, not in the two towers, but in one of the nearby mm-hmm. buildings. Yeah. Building 7, I think it was. Yeah. And so they were displaced. They couldn't, they couldn't work. And they right. came up here. And we actually had a lot of them over for dinner on, on a regular basis. And we'd hear their stories about I bet. what they dealt with. Yes, dear second word, I love feeding people. <laughs> now, now you know. Good information to have. <laughs> <laughs> um, but when we moved here, um, I was going to go back into finance as well, but mm-hmm. um, I, I, hated got, it. I, I hated it. I hated it a lot. And um, Too much math. Uh, yeah. Um, you know, it, I, I don't know. I mean, I was good at it, uh-huh. 
but I wasn't happy doing it. But you know, it was good. It was good to have that great job when I had teenagers. But I was really fortunate to have a husband that said, "Well, figure out what you want to do." And, That's great. Um, and I had kind of a um, uh, my, again, my family is really chaotic, and uh-huh. I had a, a pretty humongous falling out with my my family, um, and I ended up in um, a program. Um, called Gallahue. It's an IOP. It's an, um, it's an intensive outpatient program for um, people with, I, I have anxiety. Um, a lot of people think that that automatically means I have depression. I don't. Mm, okay. Um, but I, I went through this program and it was, it was life changing for me. And so I talked to everybody about it. I just mm-hmm. tell everybody because, um, we've, we've sent a couple people there mm-hmm. and it's changed their lives too, because, um, I learned a lot of coping strategies and, um, but I also kind of learned where, uh, where a lot of my day to day anxiety came from and mm-hmm. how to deal with it and how much of it was ridiculous. Mm. Um, how, how my self-esteem was based on things that were, um, were not even valid. Mm. And so when I came out of it, I still didn't know quite what I wanted to do, and it took me a little while to figure it out, but um, I went to college, which I had never believed I was smart enough to do. Oh, wow. And so I went to college. I started at Indiana Wesleyan because I thought, okay, well, they'll let anybody in. And (laughs) as it turns out, sorry, Indiana Wesleyan (laughs) graduates, I... um, but I was doing it online, and let me just tell you, it is true. I mean, anybody can get in. And <laughs> if you have the money. I, right. Um, and if you don't, they'll, they'll find a way to get you financing. Um, but I, um, I left there, and I went to Purdue. Well, I, tr- I applied to Purdue thinking, okay, m- maybe, just maybe. And then mm-hmm. I got into there, and I got a criminal justice degree. Oh, cool. And um, what I wanted to do was um, the the, um, investigative genetic genealogy, Uh which um, really, I mean, it was a thing, but it wasn't really a big thing Mm -hmm. yet. And I, but I had a feeling it was going to get bigger and bigger because DNA is becoming more and more part of law enforcement. Right. And so I thought, okay, well, I know I already know how to do the genealogy and there isn't a degree for that. Mm -hmm. So... I um, I thought, okay, maybe law enforcement would take me seriously if I had a criminal justice degree. So I got it, and there were no um, internships because of COVID. So oh yes, um, that, that's a thing. <laughs> yeah, so it um, it got it got a little rough for a little while there, and I um, you know had a little trouble finding a job, but um, it was um, but as I was going to school, the um, the, well, the Bear Brook case was broken with mm-hmm. um, genetic genealogy. I know you've mentioned that. And yeah, so the, to just give a, a quick summary of what the Bear Brook case is. Um, the Bear Brook case um, is a case where, oh gosh, it's really complicated. So uh, there was a woman, there was a young girl who wanted to know who her parents was, where she was abandoned. And when she did her genealogy, she just thought that, you know, she was going to find out where she came from. This is like a 23andMe or Ancestry right. test kit type thing. And it turned into something so much bigger because they found that she was related to a woman whose body was found in a barrel in New Hampshire many, many years ago. And, wow. um, 
there there were other barrels there were other barrels there as well that had bodies and so basically um they, that had been a cold case for a long time mm-hmm. for decades yeah and um so there's still one body that's unidentified hmm. um and Barbara Rayventer who's like the absolute authority on this kind of investigation she's still working on it but um you know it gets hard when um so that person isn't related to the murderer who's been caught and mm. it isn't related to the um the mother of the young girl who started this whole thing uh-huh. but um so it was Barbara Ray and it was a um a journalist from Connecticut that really unraveled this and mm-hmm. helped the New Hampshire State Police figure it out and so that was solved um then the Golden State Killer was solved mm-hmm. and April Tinsley from um Indiana was solved using this. And so all of a sudden it had some traction. Yeah. And so I started, um, for all intents and purposes, stalking um, people that were uh, doing this kind of work. And I latched on to um, this gentleman and his wife that, were, that had started a business in Texas. And they, um, they do the processing of the DNA. And he kept saying, you know, I don't think we're ever going to have genealogists on staff. Uh-huh. And now they're hiring genealogists. So two weeks ago I started and that's great. Um, yeah. So I'm working on case right now, which is really exciting. That's fun. So I heard that's your dream job. It is my dream job for my dream company. And, um, yeah, it's awesome. So you get to use DNA and genealogy to, to support victims. Right. So it's, um, uh, and I, we had talked about just, um, People, people are really fascinated with true crime, and a lot of people mm-hmm. think that's macabre. Yeah. And um, I think that the, um, of course, there's going to be that, that random weirdo, but most mm-hmm. of the people that are referred to as true crime fans, see my um, air quotes there, are not really <laughs> fans of true crime. We're, right. we're seekers of justice, and we want to see victims get their justice. And so that's why we're so interested, because... You know, we want to see the bad guy put away. We want to see the next, you know, the next possible victim saved. Uh-huh. And so, um, yeah, the way I see this, I um, now with my genealogy, which I learned initially f- at church, uh-huh. um, and I, you know, I grabbed onto it and ran with it. But um, now I can help victims and families and and make it so some people aren't victimized because we can take people off the street. Right. And some people do it to get um, people that have been wrongly convicted out of prison. That's true. Yeah. Yeah, because that. There's all that's kinds the of ways that this that this can help our um, our victims, you know, all through the United States, all through the world. That's that's cool. So, Curtis, she's got a very different job, something I've never heard of before. Yeah. So, how do you? What is? What does that mean for you? What does that do for you? Is that when she comes home or when she tells you about her day at work, is it anything? (laughs) Well, I mean, we we talk about, you know, how was your day? Even though we're we're both working from home still, Mm -hmm. right? So she has has her work, I have my work, and we still do our normal, you know, how, how did things... But... What she does is is kind of challenging. It it isn't just simply, um, 
genealogy, there's a lot of complexity to it. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that people can learn it, but man, there, there's a lot of tips and tricks, and that's where the criminal justice really, really helps. But I don't understand a lot of it. Yeah. I'm just waiting for that. That I mean, I, I, I hear breakthroughs, uh -huh. you know. <laughs> because I, I'm like, yes. <laughs> right? And that's, and that's always super exciting. My yeah. office is downstairs. His is upstairs. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so he hears breakthroughs. Yeah. So we're, we're really looking forward to the, the first solve. I mean, she's only been at it for a couple, for a couple weeks. weeks. She's got a couple cases that she's working on and making, making steady progress. So we're really excited to... And in fact, hers at, at this point, they're Jane Doe's. Like we, we don't even know who they are, uh, uh, yeah. and that's what she's trying to figure out. Now, once we figure out who they are, uh -huh. then they can do the investigation. They have a little bit more. Law enforcement has more information right. to follow up on more leads at that point. Yeah, I was listening to. I started listening to the Bear Brook podcast that talks about that story, and one of the things that they point out pointed out that I had not thought about was if you don't know who the victim is it is really hard yeah. to investigate yeah, because you don't know who the relationships are that might be people of interest or whatever. So that's, I put her picture on the wall, the picture of um, her reconstructed face and uh -huh. I named her, um, just gave her a name for now because, um, you know, it's, it's important because I mean, I've seen pictures of her body, right? I don't want to see her like that. She was a person, right? She deserves a name. Even until I find her, her name, she deserves to have a name. Uh huh. And so I wanted to give her at least that much dignity while she's in my office. Right. And, um, but yeah, if it's necessary after we find out who she is, then the DNA from the items that she was found with, we can run that. Mm -hmm. And then we can do the same process and find who murdered her. She was definitely murdered. Mm -hmm. But um, it's, it's interesting because, it, because it's expensive to do, um, not as expensive as it used to be, but because it's expensive to do, it's smarter to just do the victim first. Right. Because from the victim, you might just know mm -hmm. who um, who did that to her. Right. But um, yeah, I um, I it's it's a good feeling, and it it kind of gives me goosebumps when I when I do get the little breakthroughs because I get that much closer to giving her. Um, and I, I hate, I hate using the term giving a family closure mm -hmm. because the family is never going to get closure. Right. So I always call it answers mm -hmm. because at least getting answers is something. Yeah. Um, hopefully then the next step is justice, but sometimes answers is enough. That's true. Answers is something yeah. and families that don't have answers. That's just, that's, I think really tough. Yeah. So that is really neat that you've got, and I love the idea of, of giving her a name and a face and because she, she is a person, she is a, a, to somebody she's known and loved and, mm -hmm. right. and so she deserves more than just a Jane Doe or a, um, a number or something like that. I named her Violet. She looked like a Violet to me. <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> yeah. So what got the, what got you fascinated with genealogy was it just exposure as a member of the church or was there something else that that kind of you're looking at your watch <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh okay so um so the first 10 years of my life i um i literally didn't know who i was i um, grew up with i mentioned that i lived with my grandparents for mm -hmm. the first 10 years i thought they were mom and dad i thought that i had a um, glamorous sister out in los angeles 
not a mother who abandoned me. Mm. <laughs> um, yeah, she just took off and um, left me. And my grandparents started to raise me, but nobody told me hmm. what um, what the uh, the situation was. And I mean, I, I I was a little kid. I guess I should have figured it out because my other sister's kids weren't my nephews. They they were my cousins. But hmm. I thought that my aunt was my sister. So um, so you can see. And then yeah. um, after I moved in with my biological mother. Um, uh, she took my biological father to court for paternity, and that was before DNA. Mm-hmm. And so the judge literally said, "Well, she has your nose," and <laughs> that was the best. Sounds thing. just like proof to me, <laughs> right? You were in the same place at the same time, and that kid has your nose. So um, that was that was the best they could do. And now, by the way, I've since confirmed with mm-hmm. DNA that. His other daughter is my half sister, okay. <laughs> but um, but it was um, as soon as I started doing just my family tree, mm-hmm. family started calling and saying, "Okay, look, this is something that happened in our family. Don't tell anybody. Wait, you wait until I die. This <laughs> is this is something." In the and the skeletons started <laughs> <Wow>. pouring <laughs> out of the closet. And I mean, I probably wouldn't have kept on with it. I just you know, I just want to know where it came from. Right. Oh my goodness gracious. All I mean it's just everybody. Okay, so this person was born out of wedlock. Please don't tell. This this person's father is not actually granddad and I'm like, "Oh my gosh. Okay, I didn't need to know all of this." <laughs> and wow. um and then I did need to know all of it. Uh-huh. And then I needed to know more and more. And when I was just starting out, man, we were on dial-up um, mm-hmm. when, when I started this. I remember and, those days. Um, I was on AOL, and AOL had Ancestry, and I um, I got in touch with a woman in the UK, and she said, are you related to um, this Collis family? And I said, yes, that's my, that's my great-great-grandfather. And she's like, okay, through who? And I said, well, so Emily Collis married uh, Tom Swinburne. And she's like, okay, nope, you're the one I was looking for. She said, I have, my aunt married your great, great, my great aunt married your great, great grandfather after his first wife died. And they lived across the street. And I have a box, a shoebox of old photos of his. Wow. And I'd love to send it to you. And she did. That's cool. And I got almost all of them identified. It was neat. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I, uh, well, I come from a line of really good-looking men and very hardy women. <laughs> 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 so. Well, and and it was really neat for her being the first member in mm-hmm. her family and having, you know, the the field was white. Yes. Right. So she was really able to do a lot of a lot of work. That's true. And and that I would I would think that that gives you a, a, some sense of something. I'm not sure what word to to go for, but there's something what, as you start to to find answers and things like that, especially with when you have a, a past that has right. so many question marks. My, my mom's been married a lot. I uh, I jokingly call that my next generation the family hedgerow. <laughs> because it's really not a tree. <laughs> it's, um, and I, boy, I would do all of my siblings' uh, genealogy if they wanted, but I don't think they want to know. Um, but uh, yeah, it gave me a sense of um, 
It was kind of funny. I, I was just talking to somebody about this the other day. Everybody wants to think that they came from uh, royalty. Mm-hmm. And I'm so excited to find that I came from coal miners and people that painted painted uh, dishes in the Staffordshire potteries. And uh. like, I think that's so much more interesting to just, and, uh, you know, just as I mentioned, boy, I, you know, seeing the pictures of my, my, uh, female ancestors, mm-hmm. you know, like it, it makes me feel a kin, a kinship that I didn't have before. Yeah. Again, it makes it real. Yeah. And there's a, um, uh, an attitude that seems to, that I, that I hear sometimes about people who are embarrassed about their, their family, uh, their ancestors and behaviors and things like that. If there are, uh, burst out of wedlock and things like that. And that's something we don't have any control over. Why is it that we, that we right. tend to be so embarrassed about that? Um, there's also a lot of shame involved with people whose families owned slaves mm-hmm. or right. um, whose families... Um, some people have shame that their, fa- that their families were um, royalty. And, you know, it's just, it's, it's just with everything in life. When you know mm-hmm. better, do better. Right. If you're ashamed of something they did, well, don't do it. Are you repeating it? Yeah. Did you learn from it? Move yeah. on. Uh, you know, it's great. If you learn from it, move on. Yeah. And teach your kids better. It's it's very simple. You don't have to be ashamed, but you know, erasing history doesn't change it. It just dims us to repeat it. Right. We don't have the, those lessons that right. that we can follow. So, um what else does the uh, second ward need to know about the Larsons? We know you like to feed people. I do. That's super important. Yeah, so I, I guess it's safe to, to say we, we haven't been to church a whole, a whole lot. Okay. Um, so there's probably very few people that are going to have any idea who we are at all. Um, although uh, we have had fantastic home teachers mm-hmm. and ministering folk. Uh, Cameron Graves. Yeah, the Graves were. Graves, they're all right. <laughs> I, I mean, everybody's great, but right. nobody's as great as Cameron. I, mm-hmm. I absolutely adore that kid. I mean, he's a grown man. Why am I calling He's yeah. that young man. <laughs> well, Cameron's great. So we've had great people in, in the ward that have been a, a, a fantastic influence on us and it's, mm-hmm. and it's not that we haven't wanted to be there it's you know sometimes there are challenges right but we're uh we're excited to be a lot more involved and do what we can i do have social anxiety so i'm not a hugger i'm not really a handshaker but um yeah covid is actually covid <laughs> has been really good for us in yeah. some ways because it got us we were watching right watching church that was pretty cool. Yeah. And I loved it that, you know, I've got uh, a niece that uh, came home from her mission a couple weeks ago and their ward is still broadcasting. So I got to watch her homecoming oh, talk awesome. and yeah. they're in yeah. Oregon. That is nice. So, yeah, there's some, I think there's some good things that, that came out. Yeah. Because of it, it gave us a chance. It gave me a chance to step, to put my toes in the water again. Mm-hmm. And um, so then when I was given the opportunity to speak in church, mm-hmm. Um, it's funny for someone with social anxiety, I have no problem speaking in public. Um, it's, it's more the proximity of people. Okay. Yeah. I, 
I, I do know why, but we're not going to get it. <laughs> I was going to say, I don't know why. I do know why. But, um, yeah, so um, I, I do seem standoffish. It, um, we have three dogs. Okay. So if you ever come to our house. Um, yeah, there's no need to, to bring the dogs into it. Like, yeah. send, send a text or call <laughs> ahead of time. Because otherwise the dogs are going to, oh, my gosh. Yeah. Yeah, they're very, um, they're very excitable. Uh-huh. They like, they, yeah, they like people a lot, but yeah, so, so that's, and, and the Bishop has been wonderful. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, he's great. Amazing. Yeah. Uh, among, among the best that I've ever, I've ever encountered. Cool. Yeah. Um, so, so that's, I guess a little bit about us. Uh, -huh. uh, this, this is the first place that we've ever bought a house. Okay. Um, we've lived in a lot of places, and, uh -huh. and and it's been kind of transient. This is the first place that we've ever put down roots. Nomadic. Nomadic. Yeah. Better, That's better. good. <laughs> yeah. Um, so how long have you been in Fishers? Eight, eight, eight years. Eight years. Okay. So that's... Eight years in July. Showing some, yeah. some stability and consistency that... that uh, and owning a house. That's <laughs> yeah. I was always afraid to own a house before. Um, okay. Because I, I was always afraid of the, you know, the financial. Uh, I've seen so many people lose their homes, mm. and even though logically I knew that we were financially prepared, I couldn't get past the uh, illogical fears. Right. So he uh, he he blitzed me, and <laughs> <laughs> and it worked, and so. We, uh, yeah. yeah, we live up at near in the, uh, community at 146th in Cumberland, okay. right on the North end of the ward. Yeah. Very North end. Yeah. So, um, when you like to feed people, what, do you have a go-to dish or, um, a, a signature meal, anything that you like to put together? Well, last year it was peach cobbler. I think every, Ooh, I, yeah. I was delivering, I, uh, I order peaches every year. Uh -huh. Do you uh, do the peach truck? Yeah. Yes, those are so good. Yeah, so I ordered... She um, doesn't order a little bit. She orders a lot. <laughs> How many boxes do you get? Well, for the first delivery this year, I got two. Okay. Um, and that's and it was funny because that's when I reached out to Brother French and I said, hey, I don't know if I'm going to have time to um, make a lot of cobbler or pie this year, but um, I did order some extra peaches for you. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so as soon as they're delivered, I'll, I'll bring them down. And he's like, hey, by the way, I sent you a message about the pie. And I was like, oh, gosh, you did. I'm so sorry. Um, I totally forgot. And um, so he very gently reminded me and, and in his great way. And um, so we're here. Cool. Yeah, I will tell you, she, she's a fantastic cook. And, and it's probably wasted on me. Although <laughs> you can't look at me and think... Um, that I, I don't eat well, because I, I definitely do. She's got a lot of signature meals, I would yeah, say. Yeah, he's allergic to dairy. So my signature oh, okay. dish is usually lasagna. Okay. Um, but he's allergic to dairy, mm -hmm. which, you know, so he can't just, like, pop a lactose and or oh. lactate and be okay. But um, uh, so the, the way I see it, cooking something with cheese gives me the opportunity to eat something with cheese mm -hmm. and share it. <laughs> right. Because okay. cooking for one is kind of yeah. So if you like fun. cheese, <laughs> she's, she's a good fan. Yeah, yeah, I'm 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 the one to call for delivery dinners. I'm good with it. In fact, for a short time, she worked at at Whole Foods yeah. as a cheesemonger. Yeah. 
Nice. She loved it. Yeah, I did. Until I got cheese elbow, which is like tennis elbow, uh-huh. but from but slicing from cheese. <laughs> <laughs> so There's yeah. a cheese shop. I don't know if they still have it, but over in Nora, there's a cheese shop that has all sorts of different cheeses that oh, I don't know. I've I'll been to, to a few times. Huh. So I'm a fan of cheese. I got that from my dad, and um, I've done some smoked cheeses. I smoked them myself. Yeah. Um, wow. So I, I do enjoy a good cheese. Nice. My, um, I can make mozzarella. Can you really? Yes. I've done ricotta one time. Yes. Ricotta, for me, ricotta is failed mozzarella. <laughs> but, <laughs> sorry. It's, it's what happens when my mozzarella doesn't turn out. I'm like, yay, it's ricotta. Yay. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, making lemons for, or lemonade from lemons. Right. But literally, um, <laughs> if you use lemons to make your ricotta. But um, yeah, I can make mozzarella. I haven't really gotten into the harder cheeses yet, but... Um, one day. But brother, um, uh, Kester has, um, has redone our kitchen for us. Okay, cool. And he's, uh, he's made my kitchen a lot more, um, user friendly. Uh-huh. A lot of the kitchens in this area are so small. Yeah. And, um, and I needed a great big kitchen with a lot of room for storage because I love gadgets. Uh-huh. And he's, uh, he's set it up for me that, uh, so that I can have people in the house without them seeing the disaster of the kitchen that <laughs> right. I made to create the meal that I'm serving in the front room. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, yeah, it's been great. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah. Brother Custer's very talented. That's what I've heard. Yeah. So, um, that's great. Yeah. The kitchen is a very important room. Yes. And so as we are recording this in my kitchen. Yes. <laughs> And I'm loving your island. Yeah, this was a, uh, you should have seen our kitchen a couple of years ago. It was not anything like this. But this is before Brother Custer moved into the ward, so we had to do this right before him. <laughs> so, well, it has been an absolute joy sitting down talking to, to the two of you and getting to know you a little bit. I had no idea about your love for cheese or that you could speak <laughs> Arabic. And uh, do you use that on a regular basis or at all anymore? I don't use it on a regular basis. It was really fun in D.C., though, because if you look at him, and nobody on the podcast will be able to picture him, but Uh he looks like Charlie Brown grew up and grew a beard. (laughs) Um, People would be speaking Arabic around us, Uh and then he'd turn around and and make a comment in Arabic, and they'd look like, (laughs) oh my gosh, did he understand what we were just saying? (laughs) I I served my mission in Portugal, and so I would do the same thing in Portuguese. Nice. And I... People thought I was Brazilian, oh, yeah. but they didn't. It was often that I I was that I passed for American, and they didn't think I'd I'd speak Portuguese. <laughs> so that's that is fun to do. Yeah. It is, yeah. So Uber drivers in Minnesota. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, another story for another day. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for spending a few minutes, and um, thanks for for sharing your stories with us. Thanks for having us. And uh, we'll talk to you guys again next week. Okay. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Fisher Second Ward podcast. Please share it with members of the ward or others who you think might be interested or might be enriched and blessed by listening to our stories. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you again next week.